On the Empire Podcast this week, we sink our teeth into the people's biopic, Diana. I wonder if RIPD is DOA. Plus, Harry Potter's Matthew Lewis and Luke Treadaway pop into the pod booth for a chit-chat, while we also have a blinder with Picky Blinders star Killian Murphy. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that hasn't played GTA 5, largely because we live in Finsby Park and we get to experience it for real. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. In association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. I might give it a go myself. Who knows? Anyway, this week, as ever, I'm joined by three colleagues who together form the world's deadliest pod panel. They are, in no short order, Helen O'Hara, Geek Queen. Hello. Dan Jolin, Banana Buddy. Alrighty. And Ali Plum, Fact Fiend. You've been in touch with us all week, lobbing questions at us, and here are the best ones. This one is from at Lee West, 82. Haven't seen About Time, which knocked me for six emotionally. Which films have made you cry unexpectedly? Is this childhood or adulthood? Both. Kidulthood? <laughs> I know, I never had a kidulthood. That was before my time. Oh, interesting. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll start. Yeah, as, do. As, 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 well, actually, as a child, for me, it was silent running. Now, some people might not say that's unexpected, but it was unexpected to me at the time. And and I think, actually, I was, I was talking to uh, uh, one of one of our colleagues at Empire, Adam Smith, and he had virtually the same experience as me as a child with this movie, in that uh, he was so upset by the ending, which I'm not going to say what it is, just in case people out there want to go and check it out, but he was so upset by the ending that uh, that his mum, like my mum, to me as a child, had to make up a story of what happened next. So just just just, just to salve the emotional wounding. Um, what was the story? What happened next in the um, story? What, sorry, what? What, what happened next in the story? I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil the ending of the film for people who haven't had a chance to see it, even though it came out 40 years ago. We're back to the spoiler conversation again, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Uh, okay. All right, then. Okay. Cover your ears. Cover your ears. Cover your ears or quickly stop the podcast, go and watch Silent Running yep. and come back. Yeah. Done it? Good. Okay. Dan, go. The little robot left all on his own, tending the garden and looking after the rabbits, goes off and and basically either meets aliens, which apparently was in the original script of the film anyway, which would have been rubbish if they'd shown it or it meets another robot makes other robot friends or somehow saves Earth like Wally did eventually Wally's Yay. kind of the real ending the happy ending to Silent Running whoa Wally spoiler Christ <laughs> <laughs> but as a grown up The Return of the King oh yeah really yeah The Return uh, of the King Theoden's battle speech well surely it's you know seeing you know our boy Frodo off at the boat yeah well, I was crying because it wouldn't end. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. We're I cried. So many endings. No, with it was the battle scene at the uh, the uh, thing on the internet that slows the ending down with Gandalf. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, it's genius. It's genius. I'll just go back to talking about Silent Running. Honestly, <laughs> no, that, did you revisit Silent Running recently? Someone on Twitter said, Me. and and as an adult, did it make you cry? Uh, no. Okay. No, because That's I'm a man. Men can cry. Dan. <laughs> well, I did at the Return of the King. <laughs> yeah, I. But you weren't a man then. You were a, a boy. I, man. I was. I was a, a, a kid. Old. This was t- yeah. This was ten years ago. <laughs> ten years ago. The one that continues to make me cry because th- there can be a question which is you watched the first time and it made you cry and like Dan when you rewatch Silent Running, it didn't make him cry later. I have watched up maybe six times and it still makes me cry. Which bit? The bit that really makes me cry. Mm. It isn't even the beginning. Though the beginning is very sad. I think it's, which bit. It's just towards the end as things are kind of wrapping up and then the music comes in and it, it really. The music is what hurts me. The music mm-hmm. is what... I've talked many times about how much I love the music, but it really... Uh, is it a bit where uh, Carl is flicking through Ellie's scrapbook for the, for the last time and he finds a bit that she 
and then completed the scrapbook. Uh, uh, yeah. Like all of that movie, let's face it. Like when you see the house left just at the top of the falls as it was in the scrapbook and as he sails away and he'll never see it again. <laughs> anyway, it's fine. A bit, I'm where fine. Ke- a bit where Kevin hurts hurts her leg. That's quite upsetting. That uh, is just that whole right. film. Basically, yeah. I was a, I was a wreck. I actually started to watch it uh, for a third or fourth time once um, on a plane. Um, and oh, and had idea. to stop it because you do cry more on planes. This is I don't know if if podcast listeners find this mm. certainly this is mm. the accepted wisdom in the Empire office. You are more yeah. likely to cry on a plane. I saw yeah I saw How to Train Your Dragon on a plane and 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 for some reason the end credits music made me made me sort of well oh, up. Well, How to Train Your Dragon actually destroyed me anyway. Yeah. I just think that's a, a brilliant brilliant ending. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I had to turn it off because I was actually in danger of getting dehydrated. There's something about the uh, I believe it's science. Uh, something about the rarefied air or the high pressure something that, that makes people yeah I believe it's science that makes people more susceptible to both uh, laughing at things that aren't funny for example I, I watched The Pink Panther and found it very funny on a plane and uh, or at least bits of it the Steve uh, Martin and, one and right. the Steve Martin yeah. one yeah and I don't um, uh, I, I don't watch sad films on planes for that very reason because I don't want to be blubbing well, actually, on that very flight, I'd already watched My Sister's Keeper and The Time Traveller's Wife. And oh, both God, had what are you doing to yourself? I was just catching up on films that I hadn't bothered to see in the cinema. It's, it's a good strategy. Because um, you, you don't want to watch brilliant films on a plane because mm. you're on a plane and you keep getting interrupted by, you know, you know messages to turn your seatbelt on. Ian Freer is so. still upset that I've only ever seen Warhorse on a plane. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's the name of a great movie spin-off. Warhorse on a plane. <laughs> uh, the ones that have always thrown my life made me made me sad a fox and the hound where you see the fox just tilt his head mm. and, and the carriage goes away it's incredibly sad uh also recently wreck it ralph uh i've heard not myself some people have found that quite emotionally affecting when it's game over for everyone and then he goes no just for me i won't tell you in what context that is but i could conceivably see why but i'm just forcing it i was trying to think of a recent film that made me cry or made someone cry uh armageddon no, don't worry. <laughs> um, it came close. I actually came close. Really? I seriously came close. You came close. I, I think I've said this in a podcast before. I'm a cold-hearted bastard, or have been for years. And uh, only one movie had ever previously made me cry. Molly and Me. Uh, the Jungle Book, when I was a kid. Uh, apart from that, I've cried at football games, uh, uh, but not at movies. But um, I lost both my parents recently, and I think that, that uncorked something inside me, and I cried everything. I cried the news. I cried this podcast. I'm crying now. Oh, Chris. It's all right, Chris. Yeah. It's all right. I, I actually cry at everything, I have to say. Uh, one of the, the films that destroyed me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just gonna admit it. It's embarrassing, but I'm going to admit it. Forrest Gump destroys me. Absolutely destroys me. And it's it destroys bit, American history as well. <laughs> it does that as well. <laughs> but it destroys me at the end where he finds out he has a son and he really nervously asks if his son is smart. And that shows an awareness of mm. himself that completely just wiped me out. That's 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 the brilliance of Tom Hanks that yes. that, that far far outweighs the brilliance of anything. I, w- else I will admit in that, that but, but honestly, that I, I literally cried for about twenty minutes at that. Um, and uh, one I remember, I mean, I've talked about others before, but one I remember particularly destroying me was Michael Collins because it got me really depressed because I saw it what mid nineties when that came out, mid to late nineties, and. Uh, and I just got very depressed that the same old stuff was still going on in Ireland and it made me very upset. And again, that's probably partly Liam Neeson as well. Hmm. So, yeah, I'll, but I'll cry at anything. Two films have made me cry before the credits, for God's sake. Um, really? Which ones? Uh, Finding Nemo and Star Trek. <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, I guess I have a thing about parents dying before they see their kids. That's very upsetting. Yes. So, no, Star Trek, that was a very powerful scene. It was a great, great scene. Yeah. I, I actually said this to J.J. Uh, Abrams once when I interviewed him for the website. I said, you know, this is one of only two films to ever just make me cry before the credits. And he goes, ah, oh, well, you know how to do that, don't you? Delay the credits. <laughs> Which I thought was a slightly cold-hearted way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, another one recently, probably to wrap this up, uh, for me was Into the Wild. I know there's a debate about the actual final thing that happens in that film, whether that actually was, because hmm. you cannot say, it is not known, but there's something about the majesty of being, maybe not that dumb, but that determined to go out there hmm. and live in the world green. Do, do you know what he died of? Well, that's that's what it's not known of. People, well, I'll tell you what, I know what he died of. You don't know, no one I know, knows. I do know what he died of, because... Stupidity. No, don't know. Dave, is, uh, uh, David Mamet's script for The Edge... Only one thing kills you in the wilderness. Shame. He died of shame. Whoa. Well, interesting, I read an article about this last week which said he was actually poisoned by eating the seeds of a particular plant, which is listed as edible, but in large quantities. Uh, has a poisonous effect. I think I put the link in last week's newsletter, in fact. So anybody who still has it in their junk mail might be able to read that. But it's, uh, yeah, he's he's actually, he was killed by a plant that he is advertised as safe to eat and safe to harvest, but it poisoned him to such an extent that he lost the ability to walk long distances and then was kind of stuck in this very limited space around the, the bus, couldn't get anywhere, couldn't forage very well and starved to death. The other sad thing about that story is that where he was on that bus, the bus that you found, which was by the river and near this large hill, if he'd actually just gone the other direction that he used to go down, along that river just round the corner was a research um, facility and he just never went that way oh whoops shame anyway we'll fix that in the sequel holy cow yes I've been going through the films of last year and I don't think I cried at a single one of them <laughs> actually now uh, oh wait no Brave maybe no no Brave no no nearly why would you cry in Brave it's about Bears. loss of parents parents oh Anyway, moving on. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, moving on swiftly uh, from a question from... Foot in mouth. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, at SLDER78. That's an interesting name. Which major band do you think provided the best score to a movie? Daft Punk? Queen? Only gives two options, but I'm sure there are more. <laughs> He's talking about Hollylander for Queen, right? Well, and yeah. Flash Gordon. Flash no, Gordon. Flash Gordon, surely. No. The the song... It's got to be Highlander. Yeah, it's got to be Highlander. That is an out honestly you can say what you like about Highlander but I saw that in the eye I often do <laughs> and why shouldn't you uh, but where you see the, the top of the castle on the hill and like the, the whole Scottish surroundings and it's just essentially Freddie Mercury losing his shit into a microphone <laughs> yeah. it's, amazing. it's amazing who wants to live forever Ali who wants to live forever do you want to sing mm, no I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't begin to rival uh, Chris's uh, singing from a couple of podcasts ago Oh, you, you, you don't want to try Freddie Mercury either on the podcast. That's a tricky one. Yeah. I think recently a good one has been Grizzly Bear, who did the uh, score slash soundtrack for Blue Valentine. I would also say, because I'm a huge fan of Loudon Wainwright III, who is the father of both Martha and Rufus, he is a big buddy uh, with, he's a good friend of Judd Apatow, and in Knocked Up has a, a soundtrack which is entirely from him uh, Grey in LA is a great song on it uh, the name of the album is called Strange Weirdos music from and inspired by the film Knocked Up so if you're in any way excited by that uh, please do check it out because it's great uh, also um, finally I would say who did the uh, the um, Attack the Block soundtrack was that? Basement Jacks Basement Jacks uh, in collaboration with the yeah, composer yeah, but you know yeah. that's, that was still I, I like that soundtrack mm. uh, and didn't um, Pusher Dan Oblivion yeah, Pusher was, was Orbital 
Oblivion was M83. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, I'm a huge REM fan. I like their their, their uh, score to uh, Man on the Moon, <laughs> naturally. Uh, rather apt that uh, they were asked to, to score that one. Hmm. Um, and that's that's a pretty nice soundtrack if you want to yeah. check it out. Hmm. And I'm not sure if he, if he quite counts for what you're talking about, but T-Bone Burnett, uh, obviously for Oh Brother Where Art Thou and Crazy Heart, I believe, hmm. as well. And Inside Lewin Davis and, coming up. And Inside Lewin Davis coming up. Yeah. And he did. Uh, he was in charge of uh, Nashville on TV and, and yeah. everyone seems to think that the music is the most consistent part of that show, which I think is probably fair comment. So, so I think he's done absolutely brilliant work. Hmm. I've got I've got a few I'd, I'd, I'd like to mention. Isaac Hayes, Shaft, amazing. Yeah. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, Air, Virgin Suicides, superb score, I thought. Uh, Dust Brothers, Fight Club. Um, not to be confused with the Chemical Brothers, who did Hannah. Um, and I'm going to with another Finch, uh, Trent Reznor's Social Network. Oh, yeah. Oh, Very good. good. Yeah, Trent Reznor, really also good. known as Nine Inch Nails, of course. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's other people as well. I mean, uh, Tim Wheeler of Ashes started to, you know, dip his toes in the waters of uh, of uh, film and TV scoring, uh, which is good. And uh, Neil Hannon of A Divine Comedy, a, a person I've always felt was was one day going to write a great musical or a great soundtrack, is also uh, dabbling as well. So uh, hmm. look out for good things from him. And of course, sure. he already did the Father Ted theme. He did Father Ted theme. He did the uh, Tomorrow's World Borrowed uh, Lyra theme when they revamped from him as well. And the IT crowd. So hey, ain't bad. Ain't bad at, all. bad at all. I forgot to mention that Ladin Wainwright also plays a gynaecologist and knocked up in case you wondered what he looked like. That is a fact for anybody who gives a crap. Thank you, Fact Fiend. Are we done with this question? Should we move on to the next one? Sure. Yes. Okay, this is from at Dowie81 who asks, Having recently watched The Bad and the Beautiful and All About Eve, I was wondering, what's your favourite movie about movies? I think mm, a recent favourite, obviously, is The Artist, which I think is an absolutely gorgeous film. I mm. like films. Um, is it cool to like the artist again? I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't. What we are I don't care. I'm just. I'm just going with it. Yeah. No. I love it. It's fantastic. Hey, it's French. It's always cool. It's fine. Um, but uh, I would say State and Maine actually is a perennial favourite of mine State on movie, movie making. It's very sarky, very smart, um, and I think we've we've literally sort of seen real movies like this in the past. I can't remember what it was I saw recently, but uh, mm. the the question of whether they actually needed an old mill came into play. Um, in an actual film recently, so uh, it's it's it perennially relevant, I think. Hmm. I think I always say this when this kind of topic comes up: the correct answer is singing in the rain. <laughs> well, yeah, it yeah. is. But let's discuss yeah. around it. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Barton Fink, if you want to include. Yeah, also Fink. amazing. Yeah. Also Bowfinger, because <laughs> I have a strange soft spot. I'm so spot. glad you remember that film as well. I I I, <laughs> I play that too many times on VHS. I mean, that was that was uh, a favourite. And uh, what was the name of the movie he was trying to make? Oh, come on, Chubby come Rain. On. Chubby Rain. Uh, my favourite bit in that is uh, they're trying to usher Eddie Murphy across a highway. <laughs> he's just <laughs> yeah. he, I, he's just losing it. I like the dog in high heels. <laughs> How could you not? Uh, more recently, Argo, uh, and not quite so recently, but involving Ben Affleck to a certain degree, Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say Boogie Nights. Oh, you're so controversial. <laughs> <laughs> to porno's I just, uh, Yeah, they, well, they do. I mean, you know, shot on film until they were shot on video. But, all, but all I, I, yeah, I, do, I do really like, there's a great moment that they're, they're, they're sort of in a the editing room and um, Ricky J turns to Burt Reynolds and uh, he says how is it and he just looks and says it is what it is 
<laughs> which I just think must apply to so many movies. There's so many. There's there's a there's almost a thinking in in Hollywood, not in Hollywood, but in certainly in the in in these circles that movies about movies tend not to be successful at the box office. But when you go through it, and you actually go through the list, there's some absolute stone cold classics on there. Yeah, Alan uh, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, adaptation. I love adaptation. And uh, uh, coming from the horror side of things, did you make a joke and I missed it? Yeah, that's fine. Sorry, man. What, what was it? I said burn Hollywood burn. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, and uh, oh, we had Eric Idle in this very chair. Jackie Chan. Unbelievable. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Mm. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Very sneaky. Yeah. Very sneaky, sir. Very, very sneaky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And well, that may play into the next question. It, <laughs> it might play into the next question. And uh, Screen Three, not so good. Screen Three, not so good, indeed. But there you go. Good old Wes Craven. And a, a note to an upcoming film: um, Saving Mr. Banks is very much a film about filmmaking as well. It and, is. And uh, I can't say if I've seen it yet, but I imagine it'll be very much worth seeing. Except for the flashbacks. Yes. But, but you can't say that. So no, well, no. I mean, I just, I'm just saying, I would imagine that would be what I would say. Hmm. Uh, hypothetically, because I believe we haven't seen it. No, gosh. That's right. I yeah. can't say. No, absolutely not. We can't until October 21st, I believe. <laughs> That's what? about right. I'm just guessing. Yeah, at 9.30pm. I'm, I'm just guessing. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Um, all right, yes. Next question is from at OB08, who asks, any TV slash film quotes that you find yourself using in everyday life, either as a deliberate reference or subconsciously? Well, I think we just used one. Can we make it just film, please? Because if it's TV, we're going to be forever. Oh, yes. but I have a good West Wing one. Go. Oh, go on. Okay, so James uh, Dyer came into the office uh, after a meeting earlier this week and announced, victory is mine, victory is mine. I'm drinking from the cup of glory. Bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. Uh, that being, of course, a West Wing quote and one that he uses whenever possible. Thank God he doesn't win it yes. much. Very <laughs> he also uses uh, a lot of lines from Conan the Barbarian. I, yes, I he will yes. crush his enemies, yes. see them driven before him, and hear the lamentations of the women. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's You've got your resigned face on. Dan. I have. It's, it's surprising how often he makes these quotes as he walks back from the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the one film that is essentially my go-to uh, quote centre for anything, everything, is The Big Lebowski. I will crowbar for, in. Yeah anything and I've actually written this one out because I, I always get it wrong because it's quite difficult but yeah well you know that's just like your opinion man yeah, yeah that's a good one so useful all the time fucking A mm. man mm. this is a private residence man really ties the room together hey careful man there's a beverage here it goes on and on and on my favourite from that film and I'm always misquoting it there's one word I get wrong is it, it's clearly you're not a golfer or obviously you're not a golfer obviously obviously you're not a golfer which, which is it's so useful. <laughs> it's so useful. It really is. I love quotes like that. It's so many films that you know, I just quote from. We quoted weirdly enough from Mr. Deeds a few minutes we ago. We did. Uh, John Turturro's character, very, very sneaky, sir. Um, uh, I'm always oh. quoting, and people will back me up in this one, uh, John Lovitz from uh, A League of Their Own, where, where he goes, well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? Um, I'm be, always doing that one. Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. Sorry. <laughs> but there's no crying in podcasts. We, we also have a, a weird amount of quoting of sneakers in that's the office. True, for a film really that is true. not exactly, you know, uh, a huge hit, there's a lot of. Anyone, anytime anyone says anything about my voice or a passport, yeah. Yeah. someone will say. You say it's not a big hit. It was actually a sneakily decent oh, size. Oh, sure. It was, yeah, it was fine. It was but 100 it, million in the US alone when it came out. I know, but it doesn't get 
you no, know, it doesn't get big. that attention. It doesn't get talked about like it's part of the geek canon or or indeed the mainstream canon. It just sort of gets overlooked and yeah. sideswiped. And of course, uh, there's well. also uh, I cannot kill my friend. Kill my kill friend. Kill my friend. Uh, which which we use disturbingly an awful lot in the office <laughs> and we're all still alive which is which is a good thing so uh, far I'm a huge fan of the uh, 1980s movie Campbell Lachlan a- alien movie The Hidden and I'm always quoting one line in that particularly uh, which is um, uh, I want this car I need the keys which is uh, really obscure but anyway that, yeah, that's what hmm. I do I'll go with another Coen Brothers film uh, Miller's Crossing full of great stuff and I, the one I think I, the Cohen line I think I use the most is I'm just pontificating on a hypothesis <laughs> <laughs> that seems so you yeah, yeah. What's, what's the rumpus from is that from Miller's that's Crossing from, that's Miller's Crossing that's what's Miller's the rumpus yeah. yep 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 I also like, like from Alien stop your grinning and drop your linen uh, or yeah. Game Over Man Game Over Game of course over of anything course. basically spoken by Hudson Heat really. is a great film as well I'm always saying she's got a great ass on the edge where I gotta be uh, and yes, she's got a great ass. Always goes down well in meetings. Pacino is a, a good source generally. Oh, actually, Statham, I do, I do use a surprising amount. Um, I'm not the gay. I'm not the gay. Is one that comes up a worrying amount. And, and also, um, all right, you sausage Nigels is something from Crank 2. Uh, and I use it to most of my friends. Okay. What does it mean? I actually don't know. Right, okay. Again, this is one of those questions where we could just go on forever and ever and ever. And ever. But we can't, so we have to move on. As ever, if you want to get in touch with us on the podcast, you can tweet us. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, or we won't see your question. Because we're so popular, our timeline is filled with mentions and replies and people praising us all the time. Oh, God. There's no crying on the podcast. Uh, Facebook, we're Empire Magazine. And of course, you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Hello, Ali. We're also on Tumblr. Well, Hooray! We, we have been on Tumblr for a long, long, long time. Uh, but recently, it's had a bit of a new lick of paint, thanks to Excellent. one of our designers. And it is, as you might have guessed, empiremagazine.tumblr.com. So, go check it out. Fantastic. What's a Tumblr? I'll tell you later. It has nothing to do with the Dark Knight. Awesome. Tumblr's a bad guy in uh, Captain America. Anyway, moving on. Our first guest this week isn't one guest, but two. <gasps> How did that happen? Uh, well, um, the egg split. <laughs> uh, okay. Someone was fed okay. up at midnight. That, that was, that was oh, biology that, with Helen O'Hara. <laughs> is that how it worked then? Was it this, the, the, ov- the double ovum? Because isn't there also two sperm? Can, Let's move can on. Go I knew this would happen. Which way around does it go for identical? They're not related. What? They're two different people. I knew. I said this to you. I said if we have Dan in the podcast, he'll say ovum, and he'll say sperm. Well, I actually have a bingo card <laughs> yeah, of things Dan yeah. would say, and ovum is on there. Well, I could have said ejaculate. Oh, that's another right, one. Let's just delete all of this and move on. Stamp. It's just biology. That's what Girls Aloud said. Good song. I've heard. I mean, I read. You've heard on the radio. Oh God, over and over. No, I've heard it because <laughs> I, I got all their albums. Our first guest this week isn't one guest, but two. Hooray. Good segue. Matthew Lewis and Luke Treadaway are two of the fastest rising young actors in Britain. Lewis, you might recall, played a certain Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter series and is now striking out on his own, while Treadaway made an impression on screen in Attack the Block and on stage in the current award-winning adaptation of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. They team up for the indie flick The Rise, and they came in to talk to me and Phil. Enjoy. 
We're delighted to be joined in the Empire Pod booth by Matthew Lewis and Luke Treadaway, stars of The Rise. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. Today is the day it actually comes out. <laughs> we don't normally have people in on the day that a movie comes out. Right. And it's uh, in London on, at the Prince Charles That's Cinema. right, that's so right. So are you going to go down and watch yourselves? Uh, well, I don't know. We might do. Might pop down on Saturday. Who knows? Okay. Okay. <laughs> but otherwise, there's also on video on demand. That's right. I think in a, in about 10 days' time, yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's a that's a new thing, is it, for you? Or where you can actually access yourself in your front room. I don't want to pry too much into your personal affairs, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, it's good, you? yeah. It's good. Yeah. People can, can get on, you can on get and stuff. Yeah, it's good. Oh, fantastic. And uh, is it something that uh, whenever movies come out, are you, do you watch yourselves very often? Do you go and do that sort of thing? Or are you? Because some actors are nervous about it. I don't like it. You like, you do it. I love it. No. <laughs> no, we saw the film. We saw the film at the London Film Festival last year. So we, we have right. seen it on a, on a screen. Okay. I think... Uh, I don't know if we'll we'll go down and watch it again this weekend on the day. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Oh. I I'm not a fan of watching. I mean, I watched I watch a movie once or twice, but I don't um, stick it on if I can help it. Fix me up. You don't have a shrine to yourself in your house. No, my mum and dad do, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think it's weird. I, I think I'm shit. It was all sorry, man. I said that. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, um, oh, it's terrible watching stuff back. Well, you see all the the, the mistakes you think you've made. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued by the shrine that your mum and dad have got to you in, your, yeah, in, in their house. Everyone knows what to talk about. So every time you go go around, are they showing a Harry Potter film, or what? What are they doing? What, what's the shrine like? It's just like a glass cabinet full of memorabilia. It's effectively a shrine. Um, <laughs> you know that's what it is. They tell me if I describe it as a shrine one more time in an interview, they were actually gonna Uh-oh. kill me. But Great. smash the shine. <laughs> Do people have to crawl towards it like in Breaking Bad on the floor? That's it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got a picture of me up in like a stencil. Like, like it's brilliant. No, it's horrific. And they've got like this uh, this plaster cast that I had done. So it's it's me right. and this plaster cast looking like some mummification. Like it's it's, it's horrid. Wow. What, was that from your um like fat suit? From the yeah, that's days. exactly Is that what it was. From? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've kept it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got a scarf on it. It's got a wig. It's beautiful. <laughs> You're in a Christ-like pose. My mum and dad, everyone. Yeah. Brilliant. Is there a treadaway shrine? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest it now. <laughs> I feel really let down now. I think there's you know I think she like you know gets the DVDs, gets the scripts and stuff like that you know. But oh, there's no glass cabinet. I, I wish think I had we need a to picture go of it. Surely I do it. Like a three-dimensional scrapbook. It's yeah. terrifying. Now, on your IMDb page, this film is listed as Wasteland. Mm. Yeah. So it's the waste. It's Wasteland. It was called the, the Waste. Or the Rise. called Wasteland. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, like up till about up till a few months ago, it was called Wasteland, and it came out in America as Wasteland, and then here for some reason they've changed it to the Rise. But there's already a film called Wasteland, isn't there? Uh, I think that's probably why they. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Well, now we know. Um, yeah, so I guess that's why. Yours is the one that isn't the documentary set in Brazil about landfill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ours isn't about landfill. Oh. No, um, and it's not set sure? in Brazil. No, we should have <laughs> set it in Brazil. Um, no, but Leeds was more glamorous. Yeah, no. I loved it. It was shot. It was shot around your your neighbourhood, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So well, did you become? No, no, not quite. Just outside Rio. Yeah, no, it was. It was on um, some parts of Leeds where I did not grow up. Um, but yeah, it was shot in Leeds, uh, which is cool. I mean, you know, I've worked all over the country my entire life, and to have a job. Where I can get up in my own bed and go to work. It's pretty nice. <laughs> Fight your way past the shrine, out the front yeah. door. No, I don't live with my mum and dad. Like I don't live in with the shrine. It's not like it's downstairs. No, I'm, yeah. I just go visit once in a while. <laughs> Pay respects. Burn some incense. Crawl out on your knees. 
Um, we should put, put the rise into some form of context <laughs> before returning to talk about the shrine a bit more. Look, you play Harvey. Yes. Matthew, you play Dodd. Yeah. <laughs> and your friends from way back. Yeah. yeah. Growing up, you've been yeah. stitched up. Yeah. By the nasty dude from uh, from Killer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Who's terrifying on screen, but <laughs> lovely in real life. Cool. Yeah, lovely in real life. And um, it becomes. <laughs> You're right, though. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh no! It's maybe the first ever live death on the oh podcast. It's a shame we're not videoing this. My seat bags split, dude. My seat bags split. Oh, and I was trying to mouthful of seat. Oh, oh no. okay. Oh, that's take that, that for the oh shrine. My God. Take that. That's really state. We need to. That's huge. Oh God! <laughs> where's the, where's his tea from? Tea bag splitting. Oh, this is an outrage. Is this Starbucks? <laughs> No, it's not. Oh, okay. Do you want another cup of tea? No. <laughs> oh, no, God. never again. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, my boy. We like to roll out the red carpet treatment for our guests here on the Empire Podcast. But anyway, Phil, you were saying. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so it's sort of pitched as Ocean's Eleven meets Kez. Somewhere in that space. <laughs> Come on, Kez. Come on. Come on, Kez. No, uh, yes, it, it, it's a, it's a, effectively it's a heist film, isn't it? And it's, um, it's basically Harvey who has been stitched up by Neil Maskell's character a year ago and put into prison for a crime he didn't commit. When he comes out, he's he's hatched this plan to to wreak his revenge on him and also set him and his mates up with some cash from uh, from from stealing it from uh, this this local crime lord that Neil Maskell plays. And um, so a very elaborate plot ensues where we uh, you know come up with all sorts of ways in which to get into his club that he owns his working men's club and steal his money and then it's all sort of told back through told mm. through this kind of police interview with with Harvey and and uh, Tim to the Tim Spall's character yeah. and um, yeah I was going to say it's a sort of a usual suspect see framing mechanism <laughs> yeah, which involves yeah. you wearing a lot of makeup yes. I'm assuming unless he, you were actually beaten for real on set no in no, a room with Timothy Spall how was that yeah, it was it was good. The, uh, the the prosthetic pieces on my eye were a little bit annoying after a couple of days, but um, no, it, it was great. Tim's great to work with, and um, and yeah, it was fun doing those scenes. Yeah. Did you guys know each other before no. before this? No. no, we didn't. I knew Uan before from he was at the same drama school as me in the year below me, so I sort of knew him a little bit, but I'd not met Matt or Jared before. Yeah. I mean, because there's always that thing of like, do you do you bond before you start shooting, or is yeah. that in the rehearsal period, or do you actually go out and yeah, spend a lot no, of time in working? I mean, uh, Rowan was dead keen on us all like getting to know each other, and you guys had the accent to do as well, didn't you? So yeah, you guys. Um, yeah, it was really good. Because you're a Devon boy, right? So yeah. it can't be easy to get there. We just hung there. out with Matt and Jerry a lot, and um, and that, yeah, was, that we, was useful. We went, and then we were like, living in Leeds as well, so we'd go and what did we do? We, we played poker at my house. Uh, we went out a lot. Um, we went to the golf driving range one night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went on Brady Club. Yeah, he went and brought me got me driver. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Jerry, Jerry, come over and watch rugby in the pub, like we all with my mates. He wants to see how my mates like interacted and right, right. Um, yeah, we, I mean, think Rowan was just keen. We was just getting drunk together and being mates. Yeah. So, so it was good. We had a good time. We were, had a, it was a good few weeks living up there. Yeah. How did you break a golf club? Because that takes a hell of a lot of force. Yeah. You'd see a, a swing, hell, mate. hell of a swing. Yeah, <laughs> hell of a swing. Um, literally, the, the head of it came. Was that what it's called? The head of it, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. it came off. It just it? literally came clean off. This graphite club. <laughs> it just came clean, like shaved. Has he paid you for it yet? Has he f- no. No, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, like, I keep it in my in my bag. Not, just, not in this shred. No, well, made it in. it's not anyone's shrine, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll do well to remember that. <laughs> no. 
And uh, uh, Luke, you've just finished your run in the West End, haven't you? Yeah. The Curious weeks, yeah. yeah. So um, and now what's next for you? You're heading off to the States, I believe? Uh, I'm, I am for a bit, yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then doing a, a job in a few weeks that's in uh, not in the States, but I don't think I'm going to talk about it, so <laughs> I'm going to just keep quiet. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. But what, what's life Detail. like for you, you both at the moment? You, you heading off to... LA, both of you to do auditions. Is that what life typically like for you as actors these days, or are you staying very I don't much? No, not always. I mean, I, you know, I, sometimes most of my, I've not really done that much. I've never gone and sort of sat in LA for a few weeks and gone right. I'm here. I'm going to do meetings. Um, I might, yeah, I might go out there now and and, and uh, see who's around, have a few coffees. But um, no, it's uh, it's it's good to do, and it's good to meet people who are making projects. You know, whether that's in London or or Los Angeles or New York, wherever and. Um, you know, it's 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 great to meet people who are, are putting films together and making interesting projects. So, mm. you know, yeah. That was such a diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. What about yourself, Matthew? What's uh... the same? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's it. I mean, I've never I've never been out there and, and gone. Yeah, here I am. Let's do all the the meeting and stuff. But I'm just enjoying doing different things back here. I mean, mm. as long as I'm working, I'm content. You know. Um, mm. I very much see myself as a jobbing actor. Just as, as long as I'm still making a living from it, then and I'm and I'm happy with what I've done. Then um, yeah, yeah, it's that's it. I mean, I'm, I think we're both busy now for a bit. Yeah. Um, when we both start, whatever these things are that we're doing, that we're <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk uh, about. Yeah. But yeah, so um, as long as I keep working away, I'm happy. I mean, I d- this is. I don't want to frame this in a way that's going to be a bit of an invidious question, but I wonder which of the Harry Potter directors you found the most sort of natural affinity for when you were working no that's uh, yeah David Yates yeah yeah right yeah I mean um, David just I just got on with him so so well um, I remember <clears throat> when he first came on board he got a um, set up a meeting in his office and um, I'd not had a meeting with any of the directors before like in that respect um, and he was just a, I just want to talk about Neville, right? And we just sat in his de- uh, like in his office and talked about it. And he said, um, "No, I've got this idea for it. I just said I want it to go." But obviously, you've played him for six, seven years at the time, and he was like, well, "It's you know, it's you know him more than anyone else." So let's make it very much a partnership. And yeah, we just sat and worked over it, and um, and he was just he was really great. I felt he was so good at getting the best out of people. The the things that he said. Um, you know, before you're about to do this big, a uh, big scene, we just they hit the nail on the head every time, and you just went, "Yeah, I got it. Okay, I'll do this." Um, yeah, he was just a brilliant, really, really great, great director. Because of course, um, Neville becomes kind of like Dutch in Predator at the end, doesn't he? <laughs> have you seen the T-shirts? The Neville would have done it in four books T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, okay, you've been asked that before. Have you got one no. in the shrine? <laughs> <laughs> it might be in the shrine. I'll have to double check for you. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, it was so nice for the character because he's such a brilliant character, and I enjoyed playing him so much. Um, and so many people can relate to him. I mean, when I was a kid, I could relate to him uh, more than any of the others, I guess. Um, and I get such nice, nice letters from people, you know, saying that they they were bullied at school or whatever, and and it's helped them get through that. And that's yeah. the sweetest thing. Mm. Um, you know, just doing a job, you never expect it to actually have an effect on people. So yeah. it's kind of nice to have that. Um, and then when he became this hero in the last book, um, you know, Joe just really she she just she nailed it. It was just brilliant, a brilliant a brilliant arc for 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 him. And um, it was a pleasure to 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 take that journey with him. 
Would you get the book? Would you get the books before the script? You'd get the books before the script, obviously. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird. Get the book and go. Boom! It's a weird film. I've got some great stuff. Well, she told me about it. She tell you before because she told me. She said that I've I've written this amazing thing for Neville. You're gonna love it. And I got the book and I was like, well, where is it? And then like, (laughs) and it's at the end. Um, But I was a fan, so I read the book anyway. But then like, you you get the book and you read it and you go (laughs) and you go right. It's in the book. Is okay. it going to be in the? Is it going to be in the script? Yeah. What's in the script? Yeah. Is it going to be? Are we going to shoot it? Yeah. We shot it. Is it going to be the final edit? Is it, and it's like, yeah, it's, sure. It was, a, it was a weird like, thing. And bear in mind that book came out like four years before we, we or like three years before we actually got round to doing it. Yeah, of course. So you're aware of what's going to happen in three years in your future. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, did uh, did Potter ever uh, was it ever on the horizon for you? Did you ever audition for anything in, in Potter? Or? No, I didn't. No, it's too late now. It's a, yeah, it's done. Definitely too late now. It's definitely over. Um, I I I didn't know. Dude, oh. it's not over, isn't it? No, it's, it's not over. over. What do you mean? Yeah. Do another one. Do another, another one. one. Yeah. Are you? I'm not doing it. Pitch it oh, to no. him, Matthew. Can you pitch it to him? <laughs> I don't even know. What it is. I don't even know what it is. I just read about it. It's like a, a, a based on a, a I don't know. Some of the original people going back. No, it was a book that she did for like and it's like a spin off. Oh, right. So you just flicked through it and went, oh, Neville's not in this. Is it like Torchwood? Is it that? That's So they just got like a different thing in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. It said 70 years before the the Potter. Seventy years. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be good. I mean, you know, it's an extension of the universe, which is so vivid anyway. I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. We'll love it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm available. No. <laughs> <laughs> and look, you're also available. Should yeah, uh, yeah, we're both, we're both. <laughs> I'm up for it. Should people come calling? Fantastic. Well, guys, we've got to let you go. Um, uh, and good luck accessing yourselves in your living room. <laughs> and uh, and uh, good luck with the shrine and the Treadway shrine that you're you're going to get your. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to set one on up. demand. Yeah, yeah on we're demand. Brilliant. All right, mate. Matthew, so look, thanks for having Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, now it's movie news time. As the late great Ian Jury might have said, hit me with your movie news stick. Hit me. Hit me. I'm not sure he would. It doesn't scan he, off he would well. Have. I have news which is either sad or brilliant, or both, um, depending on your reaction. Uh, Pixar has moved the good dinosaur out of 2014 into 2015. Finding Dory moves back as well to 2016. Oh. And it all means that there is no new Pixar next year. Okay, just take a deep breath, sit down, make sure you're okay. Yeah. There is no new Pixar that next year. So they're not bringing anything forward? They're not bringing they're Inside not, Out forward? No, or? Inside Out remains in 2015, so we're going to have two Pixars in 2015. So it's going to be uh, Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur with... Uh, Finding Dory in 2016. Now, The Good Dinosaur is, of course, the movie in which the uh, director, Bob Peterson, was recently replaced. That's right. Well, yes. you say replaced. The he was he Dunk. was removed, but he hasn't been replaced. And I think that's part of the reason that they're moving it. They want to give themselves time to find who exactly is going to take over. Or it's going to direct itself. Or it could direct itself. Oh, Pixar has achieved... Pixar has achieved the singularity. We are there, people. Uh, anyway, it's uh, they're giving the singularity time to settle in and take charge of the film um, and get it right. So uh, that's going to be 2015 now. So that does make 2015 even bigger than it already was, which is saying quite a is lot. Is it true that they're going to introduce more days into 2015 to accommodate... Yes. Yes, that's true. Races. Yes, um, the, the calendar people are adding an extra month. They've discovered another singularity. Called prune. Called prune? You yeah. Didn't, you didn't think that through, did you? <laughs> Not really. That was just a word. 
pretty much. It rhymes with June, though, you see. Oh, I like there that. we go. Yeah, yeah it's in the summer season. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the plan. Uh, Maleficent will be moved uh, forward a little next year, if you're as excited about that as I am. It's coming from July to May to kind of fill the gap there. Um, so, Dinosaur will be November 2015. Finding Dory uh, moves to 2016. And uh, Inside Eye remains summer 2015. It's I hope that's all brutal clear. place, Pixar, isn't it? Brutal. I mean, honestly. It's the happiest place on earth. I, I mean, I've, I've been there, but they didn't show me the hidden rooms of brutality. <laughs> Did they try and replace you at any point when you were there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, they kicked me off the feature and uh, replaced me with um, Andrew Stanton. Wow. Who yeah. does have better hair than you? Have you not mm. been to the Red Room of Pain? No, I haven't been to the Red Room of Pain. It's amazing. No. It, or the, is, or, or, it is amazing. Or indeed the Black Room of Despair. Yeah. Or the, it's next door to the Tiki Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> but I did see a chimp on roller skates. Well, there you go. Uh, honestly, I mean, listen, this is not actually bad news because it is better that Pixar get the film right than that they hit, hit a certain release date. So from here, that here. point of view, it's absolutely a good thing. Having said that, yeah. 2014 doesn't have a Pixar movie. Now, they have thrown together movies in a matter of minutes in the past. Toy Story 2 That's was true. famously yeah, scrapped it was. almost completely. I say and that they would say they threw it together. Well, obviously, a lot of love and brilliant scripting and, and character mm-hmm. design all went into but it. But it was a last minute. But it was a That was a last minute yeah. refit, that, yeah. that film. It was about three minutes before it came out. They, they did that. <laughs> three minutes, yes. Yeah, three minutes before it came out. Isn't, there, they, isn't there a they Planes movie next year? There's another Planes movie. That's not a Pixar movie. film. No, I know. I'm saying this is what we get instead. Well, I think, actually, what I'm clinging on to for next year is that there is a Leica movie. There's uh, Box Trolls is out next year. And, and and Leica has something of that Pixar spirit, I think. And yeah. also next year is the best Pixar movie that Pixar didn't make, which is, or the sequel to the best Pixar movie that Pixar didn't make. And that Come is, of course, three. How, to, face. How to Train Your Dragon 2. Yes. So I think that will go some way to filling that Pixar gap. What oh, I want I is dragons. for news stories about Pixar to not feel like you're hearing the pools being read. Moving to 216. I just feels like it's going to end with East 5, 4... Further four, five, four five. five. It's just I want Pixar to be like, hey, we've announced this great thing. It's going to be brilliant. Well, hey, instead of it being okay, we're moving our pieces on the board. Things have got complicated. It feels less magical. Slightly take it back. There won't be a Pixar movie next year. And what I was saying was, given how fast they have been known to work in the past, couldn't they just pull one out of their Pixar's? Yeah. Or could we do a podcast movie? What we star in a Pixar movie? I'm missing all of Ali's jokes today. <laughs> Again, that's another one I've just caught up with. It's like it's like I'm on Ali Plus One at the moment. It's like if I miss it, I'll be able to catch up with it later on. Dave I'm so plus sorry, one, that but more sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good Pixar. I like that. Sorry, man. Do they want? <laughs> I was so wrapped up in my own thoughts that I didn't hear it. They could find oh. another one out of their Pixar arsenal. Oh, that's good. That's good. Anyway, moving on. Moving yeah. on. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. You know, there's. There, I'm sure there's a, a Pixar to how they. Do their oh, release dear. dates, um, but yeah, just just go on, throw something together. Just take bits from old movies and stick them together, and no one will notice. We don't look. Surely the that joy is that they don't throw things together. They carefully craft them really fast. Again, and Cars Two. I guess yep. there's okay. We're not going to talk about Cars Two. That doesn't help my point. Um, so we're just going to hope that this leads to a great couple of Pixar movies in 2015 and another great one in 2016. Because let's face it, that's far more important than getting one a year. Miyazaki's just as hard. Yeah. He has, yeah. Fly over to Japan, yeah. bag over the head, bring him back to San Francisco, make a movie. That could work. You know, he and Lester get on well. Yeah, that's yeah. a little disrespectful to, oh. to, to Miyazaki-san. 
and bag over the head and yeah, shoulders. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I don't like that. But the suggestion that we should kidnap Miyazaki. That's disrespectful. No, no, no I don't like that, Chris. It says here it's not. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I haven't read the yeah. script. Anyway, Dan, what have you got for me? Well, you may not have been aware of this, but this year was the centenary of the birth of Alan Turing. Who's Alan Turing, Dan? Who's Alan Turing? I'm sure you will Dan, not. Dan, you, you just Helen. said it in your own voice. It's Helen. an enigma. Helen, um, who's Alan Turing? He's a codebreaker who broke the enigma code in World War II and was persecuted by the government for being gay. Yes, but he's more than that as well. He sure. also... I mean, this may be arguable, but he also uh, uh, conceptualised what he called the Turing machine, which uh, was to be basically the foundation of arti- artificial intelligence Ooh. and computing. He was a genius, and um, and it, it kind of annoys me when people describe him as an unsung hero, because to me he, he is sung, but I don't think he is as sung as loudly as he should be sung about. Anyway, they are making a movie uh, of uh, kind of similar to the film Enigma, which had the world's most boring car chase. <laughs> it did. Uh, but not that. Uh, it's actually about the, the real events uh, of the cracking of the Enigma Code. And they, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch stars as Alan Turing. That has started shooting. Uh, and it's got a great cast. Kieran Knightley's going to be in it. And um, Mark Strong, who we all love. Um, and Charles Dance, who, of course, is amazing in Game of Thrones. So Cumberbatch is Turing. Cumberbatch is Turing. Get your yes. tickets now. Yay, yes. come on. He is. And it's directed. I'm I'm also excited by this. The director is uh and I'm probably pronouncing this completely wrong. Moulton Tilden. Yes. Headhunters. Ooh, Headhunters. He was great. Yes, exactly. Ooh, I'm exactly. Even so it's more the guy who made Headhunters making making uh, a movie with with one of my one of my historical heroes as uh, Henry VIII. as its as its main apart from, actually I'm I'm more of a Cromwell guy. Um and it's about the cracking of the Enigma code. So you I know it will right the wrongs of U five seven one, which actually I enjoyed and was better than Enigma. Speaking of Enigma, I have some Enigma facts for you, okay? Okay. Ready for the Enigma facts? It Bring was it. co-produced by Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger appears as an RAF officer in a party scene, and he lent the production his very own Enigma machine, which he owns to be used on set. Tell me about Cumberbatch on tour. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> he playing the Bournemouth Arts Centre in January. Um, anyway, hmm. this script, yeah. The Imitation Game, by Graham Moore, yeah. won the blacklist Last, not last year, but the year before last, hmm. uh, and it is held as one of the greatest scripts knocking around Hollywood for a while. So it's a surprise in a way it's taken this long to come to fruition. But also, it was very much pitched at the time as a Turing biopic. Hmm. So you're saying it's hmm. not that; it's more about the uh, Enigma machine than, than than Turing himself. That is how it's how it has been announced. Okay, for sure. I mean, there's a. I suppose. I suppose personally, there's a little element of disappointment if that's the case because I'm actually I'd like to see something which which took in his his whole life and the the, the tragedy of his life at the end because uh, he was a, a shattered man because he was pretty much persecuted for his homosexuality and voluntar- voluntarily chemically castrated himself he'd like trying to cure in inverted commas himself um, and yeah it's it's a really sad story I don't know if the film's going to go that far uh, or indeed you know look into the way that he you know developed the groundwork for well indeed developed the world's first computer I think don't attack me if I'm wrong about that please it's the way you People. define computer yeah, you know you yeah. say an abacus is a computer yeah. but uh, but yeah it's 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 a fascinating story and he's a fascinating man and I'm really looking forward to the in- the, I nearly said the intimidation game the, intimidation. the imitation game the imitation game you know I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well let's see, let's see what happens if anyone by the way is playing Dan Joel and Bingo at home 
the phrase chemical castration is now up there with <laughs> ovum and sperm. Well done, Dan. Uh, house, anybody? <laughs> Ali, what do you got? Uh, what I have is a rumour. Who likes rumours? I love rumours. Ooh, I like it when they're not true. Good, because <laughs> this may well turn out to be just that. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. is a man. Is this the rumour? That's the rumour. No, the rumour is that he may well end up being Avatar 2's villain. Dun, 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 dun. This is based on an occasionally quite reliable, and there are so many inverted commas around each one of those words um, that we may run out of ink to print it, but Latina Review often makes suggestions that turn out to be true. I bring up this rumour not because it's going to happen, but because it's such an interesting idea. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the new human bad guy for Avatar 2 seems to fit for mm. me. He is on I, 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 yeah. a bit of a downward uh, curve uh, mm. of his career right now and it could do with a bit of a pick-me-up. And the sequel to the biggest film of all time may well be a decent uh, tonic. And of course it would make sense to reunite with his long-term buddy, Mr. James Cameron. Sure. And uh, you could see him playing a, a similar to Quaritch you know, general role, and he likes running about in jungles, covering himself in face paint. My 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 uh, problem with this, it's been subsequently denied, I think, by Arnold's people that this is going to be the case. But if it has happened, it would be very, very cool. Um, but also, interesting, because, frankly, Arnold versus, versus the Navi, I'm rooting for Arnold. Oh, harsh, man. Blow those mothers up, Barney. Go for it. But they're all, you know, in uh, one with nature and stuff. Oh, Arnold versus Swampy. Arnold wins every single time. Bunch of tree-hugging, guardian-reading... <laughs> guardian-reading. Guardian-reading, mung-bean-eating. No, honestly, Arnold versus tree-huggers. Arnold wins every time. Maybe. Because he can blow up trees. Maybe. Yeah, but they have Mother Awa on their side. <clears throat> yeah, but he's Father Kick-Ass, so he can, he can Mother, destroy them all. Mother Awa goes AWOL when bloody Arnie yeah, comes to town. Yeah, she runs. Hang on, do we know... I mean, obviously, it's just a rumour, but wouldn't it be more interesting to cast him as an alien? And he could be do would be one of the mocap people. Mocap Arnie. Sorry, that would, that sorry, would break sorry. that would break performance emo, capture. Emo cap. So maybe he's like a big alien or something. Maybe he's a Navi. He's a baddie Navi. I don't know where we're going with this. But uh, that's that's interesting. We're yeah. going to a new news story. Uh, where we're going now is to a new oh, news story. I wanted to get the word Meowaunei in there, but I didn't manage it. Bless you. Damn it. Maybe next time, Helen. Helen Bingo. Um, <laughs> The Walking Dead is a TV show on AMC, as is Breaking Bad, as is etc, etc. But The Walking Dead, like Breaking Bad, are planning a new spin-off show. We've got Better Call Saul, a prequel to Breaking Bad that we discussed last week. Now AMC are going for a Walking Dead one, which will not be... A prequel. A prequel. It'll it just is be, a prequel. No, 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 it's not a prequel. It's, it's just a spin-off. It's just okay. a separate group of people within the Walking Dead universe. Right. You might presume that we could have some crossover with characters that are in the show currently mm. but I very much doubt it okay. I think this is just going to be a separate group so it's like the West Coast Walking Dead yes I'm not sure they're going to call it that though it does make me wonder what they will call it the Walking Dead Vice City I mean what is it I, it's it, it's curious for me uh, but it should be on the air in 2015 which again adds to the 2015 excitement pot and it's been described by AMC bosses as a no-brainer of an idea which is funny because of zombies <laughs> yeah. and then it's also funny because it makes you groan <laughs> so laugh you bastards so yeah that's that's happening and finally my final news story is don't give us time to, we've got to discuss yeah, what is, it what, 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 what is that what, 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 three news stories what have you got to say about the Walking Dead spin-off it's interesting go Arnold wrong one no, oh sorry um, yeah uh, it, it's interesting because words are going to be said as you said 
Um, and is there a sense of I can see why they want to capitalize on the Golden Goose at the moment because they're about to lose Breaking Bad, they're about to lose Mad Men. So why not this huge cash cow that is Walking Dead? Why not introduce a second show? But is it going to with with Robert Kirkman and Gail Ann Hurd working across both shows? Is that going to stretch them a bit too thin? Are they going to lose focus on the main show? I don't know. I'm 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 not a hundred percent convinced about this one. I think it's kind of interesting because the the main show has oh, it's obviously deviated hugely from the comics, but at least had that kind of framework yeah. to hang around. Um, this one, no one has any idea what's going to happen, and that is always kind of exciting. That's but you, you have an idea of the the, you know, the scale of it. You have an idea of the odds that, that whoever's in it is facing. But what you don't know is anything else. And I think uh, that's kind of cool. I think if they're going to do it, they have to make it completely different aesthetically it is, from it, the Walking it Dead. It is a total blank page. They've said it will not be connected to the Walking Dead in anything other than the universe and the name. They've said it'll be in a different place. But what I mean by that, it has to be in a completely different place. It has mm. to be either taking place in the city, Scotland, Scotland, the snow. Uh, Somewhere, like Somewhere? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's why. There were a lot of people at Comic-Con wearing t-shirts that said if they kill Daryl, we riot. So you need a you need a Daryl in there, don't you? You need a somebody really seriously charismatic to kind of get the people on board. Maybe it is like Fraser, Daryl moves <gasps> to zombie Seattle. <laughs> that would work. People would with go with him. I'm listening zombie brother out for zombies. Yeah. And his uh his former cop dad also a zombie and their dog also a zombie. Oh, yeah, Their Mancunian home dog. help. Also a zombie. <laughs> a zombie. That would, I'd watch that show. Yeah. I, I haven't seen The Walking Dead yet, but I've read the series up to about issue 70 when I just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, stop it. You're killing me here. But isn't there a hell of a lot to cover yet anyway in terms of where, where Kirkman took the story? I mean, you know, I kind of, I, I can vaguely tell what each what's happening in each season and it seems that we're not near, you know, some of the interesting stuff that that, that happens later. So why, why, why not just focus on that ongoing story? Well, my I mean, feeling is the TV show is just spinning further and further and further away from the comic now. And I don't think the comic book necessarily is a blueprint anymore for the for the TV okay. show. There are so many characters in the TV show who are, and and vice versa, characters who are alive in the comic book who didn't make it through the TV show, and mm. or characters in the, who are alive in the TV show but are dead in the comic is it the same thing mm. um, you know and it's and it, I think it's going to take so long to get to where they are in the comic book now that they're just going to go off in their own direction what I, they did with the governor this season they're staying in the prison that's that's new I agree entirely I think what it is is that in order for Walking Dead to work as a show it needs to be entirely surprising and to make it entirely surprising it cannot be pegged to anything it's got to be inspired by something but you don't want to be watching anything like The Walking Dead and be going well of course that's going to happen because it's in the book so mm. totally agree on that front the second thing is I think that British uh, viewers of uh, the show uh, AMC is a channel is not is, is, is a channel that we don't necessarily know that much about but for what it's worth it has three or four you could argue big loss leaders like Breaking Bad Mad Men and Walking Dead otherwise it is not I would say a good channel it is something you watch for these shows but not something you watch for its daytime telly so they really are as you say kind of hedging their bets here uh, to make sure that the ones the, 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 the risks they did take pay off uh, for as long as possible uh, it's not a show when I first heard about it when I AMC they've got like three of my favourite shows you wouldn't watch it all day every day but it's the same with every channel I mean you go to BBC for Want the Down Under but when every Sanders comes on you switch off so that's what that's what I do yeah. stop looking at <laughs> yeah, me like that uh, okay uh, sure uh, what's your other news story uh, my final news story is that uh 
and this explains why this week we have I'm going to call a spade a spade here not the best of movie releases uh, IPD and Diana hey don't spoil it for everybody oh I don't I don't, want to, ru- I don't want to ruin it for everyone and the reason why they're, the big movies aren't coming out this week or even you know Woody Allen's got a movie coming out but it's coming out next week Blue Valentine Blue Valentine Blue Jasmine Grand Theft Auto 5 is coming out it's already come out you can buy it for 32 quid in some places but Grand Theft Auto 5 has broken yet another record in terms of not just selling computer games but selling media so watching a movie whatever like it has sold 800 million dollars worth of product to use Breaking Bad vernacular Black Ops 2 the Call of Duty game from 2012 previously held the record for one day sales with 500 million and that earned 1 billion after its first 15 days judging by the fact that this has sold 800 million on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and hasn't launched in two huge markets Japan and Brazil yet is indicative that Grand Theft Auto as a franchise is colossal and is part of the reason why movies aren't being released necessarily this weekend. Uh, that's it for movie news. Not talking about Kelsey Grammer joining the Expendables 3. That's not worthy of dissection in some well, way. Well, we should possibly mention Kelsey Grammer has joined the Expendables 3. He's yeah. not what Willingly, you consider. Would you say? Yeah. As, well. as far as we know. Yeah, there was um, no bag over the head situation. They might have stolen his homework. I, I can't call it out. Good on him. Yeah, to be honest, it's it's fascinating casting and uh, and makes it a bit more interesting than just another 80s action star he's going to play a helpful mercenary rather the way that Chuck Norris did last time but we're guessing with fewer Chuck Norris facts um, <laughs> possibly some salad and scrambled eggs who knows did, did, didn't you see Kelsey Grammer's action movies in the 80s you know what I must have missed those they were awesome oh yes. there was uh, what was it Sudden Inferno Sudden Inferno Sudden Inferno yeah. starring Kelsey Grammer uh-huh. as Jack Killer Yep. Yeah. Yep. Then there was um, Rock Hard. Rock Hard. Rock yeah. Hard. That was brilliant. That's coming back to me now. Yeah. 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 And then and then there was my favourite, uh, Nothing to Say. That doesn't sound like him. No, no. no there's, it, 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 that was it was ironic. Uh-huh. It was ironic, uh, and he returned to the role of Jack Killer for that one. Not Jack Reacher. Oh no. Because he said nothing. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't in any way uh, demean Jack Reacher. A wise choice indeed. Uh, let's move on now to uh, last week's competition because we have the answer this week last week we teamed up with our all powerful overlords at Squarespace to offer one reader one lucky reader the chance to win the not incongruous in any way shape or form triple bill of Woody Allen's Manhattan Woody Allen's Annie Hall and Fast and Furious 6 which is not to say that Woody Allen directed Fast and Furious 6 he didn't that we know of that we know of (laughs) if he had it would have been amazing the ridiculously easy question was what is the name of Sun Kang's character in the Fast and Furious franchise? And the answer is not Han Lu, as people say, that's his alias. Helen. His real name, and I'm not kidding, is Han Solo. Seoul, as in the capital of South Korea, then a dash, and then O, O H. Han Solo. Amazing. Do you see what they did there? Amazing. It is isn't Absolutely it? amazing. It sounds familiar. It does sound familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so. The winner is, and to spice it up this week, I have all the correct answers here in a Heisenberg hat in front of me. You can verify this, Helen? I can verify. He yep. actually has a Heisenberg listen, hat. Listen. And, and he wasted an enormous amount of time this morning cutting up bits of paper and a lot of names paper. on. Yeah, a lot I of I was paper. an enemy of trees, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger oh. in Avatar 2. Here we go. The winner is... Chosen at random. Okay. Shall I read it out? Yeah, you read it out. Okay, he's has- Make he's sure the answer's right. The paper. Just in case it's wrong. Okay. They have even spelled it correctly. Good. Han Solo. Mm-hmm. The winner's name is Jack Dylan. Jack Dylan, congratulations. 
That was another character played by Kelsey Grammer in the 80s. <laughs> was that in Fraser Thunder? Yeah. <laughs> Fraser Thunder. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Iron well done. Crane. Well done, Jack. Uh, someone will be in touch with you very, very soon and they'll send off your box set. Please tell us you'll just throw away Annie Hall and Manhattan and you'll put Fast and Furious 6 on a loop okay time for a second interview now it's been 10 years since Killian Murphy woke up in a hospital bed staggered around a deserted London and faced a rage apocalypse in Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later which is frankly all kinds of depressing but he's used that time well since alternating between appearances in blockbusters like Chris Nolan's Dark Knight Trilogy and Inception and smaller films like Red Lights and Red Eye and other movies that don't have red in the title he's now turned his hand to TV with Stephen Knight's Peaky Blinders which is currently showing on Antibeeb and he popped into our pod booth to talk to Phil and Ali. Am I right? I'm right. Enjoy. We're very pleased to welcome Killian Murphy to the Empire Podcast to talk to us about your new BBC miniseries. Epic miniseries, Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Welcome. How Thanks. are you? <laughs> I'm grand. How are you? Pretty good, thank you very much. Um, watched the show last night and the first thing that struck me is it's got a real, I mean, not to demean any BBC dramas that have gone before, but this one feels more HBO than anything. It's got a real sense of, of, of scale and detail. Yeah, I think we were aiming for that. You know, I think um, the period that it's set in is quite an extraordinary period between the wars in Britain, you know, and it hadn't really be, been investigated before. Uh, there was so much going on, you know, and also setting it in Birmingham was quite an interesting thing to do because uh, it was this crazy industrial city that was, you know, there was so much uh, industry happening there at the time and uh, so much going on. And uh, I guess the political background for you know, what was happening across Europe and in Ireland, it was all kicking off. The empire was like collapsing and it was all these soldiers demobbed from the First World War and they were all damaged. And yeah. women were about to get the vote and, you know, uh, we were heading into the swinging 20s and communism was starting to rise. There was loads of guns around. It's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool time to set a drama in, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like probably the most seismic period of British history yeah. ever. In 1919, after the war, yeah. Edwardian society sort of yeah. sweeping away. You'd been on another side of it in Ken Loach's The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Yeah. And you'd also starred in The Trench oh, yeah. way back when. Yeah, so you have brought some kind of knowledge and expertise to it, I guess. Well, Is that fair? I was, well, I was very much on the other side yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for, uh, with the barley, from the barley... Uh, Times. In fact, there was a couple of lads who were in Barley who played some of the IRA guys, and I had to apologise and say, "Lads, I'm stepping over. <laughs> I'm a turncoat on this one." How easy is it, a cork boy, to nail the the Brahmi accent? Do you have a do you have like a trigger word? I always find <laughs> I always find if you say "excuse me," that kind of gets you started. Do you have a? <laughs> I am not going to try it now, uh, <laughs> but I luckily enough, Steve Knight, who wrote it, is from Birmingham, and. Uh, so I would pester him and kind of call him up and leave messages on his phone and send him excerpts of the script. And as long as I got the sort of, you know, the A-OK from him, I felt I was... You know, we were going for a kind of a, a lightened version of it, really. And I think the accents probably would have been different, you know, almost 100 years ago now. So, um, But yeah, I, I spent a lot of time up there. I hung out with Brummies and I did, had a lot of you know, tapes I listened to. And you got you to... Gotta, you gotta, do due diligence to the to the people of Birmingham, you know. I gotta say, really that's not how they say it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta do your best. So I, I I'll wait and see for the for the verdict. The music 
we mentioned you're obviously a massive music fan. I was spo- I was um, watching a video for a band I really like, I Break Horses. Oh, with yeah. With a horses theme. And you're in that for, it's a track called... Winter Beats. Winter Beats. How did that, were you literally kind of a blink in your, and you're, you're wearing a very fulsome, handsome beard? Well, there's, uh, I, there's this record label that I love called Bella Union and, uh, I think they put out the best records in Britain, you know, and uh, so the, I Break Horses are on that label and they asked me to just, I was doing a play in Ireland, so they flew over and they put me in, put me in it. And then I subsequently directed a, a video for a new band they have called uh, Money from Manchester. And they're, you know, an amazing new band. I reckon they're a very important new band. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's my little way of trying to hang out with musicians <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Get with the rock and roll guys, uh, I suppose. But it, it, you know, it, for me, it's if, if a song really appeals to me and there's some form of collaboration between the, you know, between the, the musicians or the director or and me, then then great, I'm up for that, you know. Because you, you worked with um, Wally Fister, yes, and you've worked with Wally Fister on the Christopher Nolan films yeah. previously, uh-huh. and you're now working with him on Transcendence, uh-huh. where you have done. Um, and he's making the transition to feature filmmaking. Yeah. Did you have any of those sort of conversations? Did you did you could, could you sense that he had that kind of burning desire to move into feature filmmaking himself? Um, I think he. Yeah. I mean, I think he. You know, he's he's probably one of the best living DPs out there. You know, and I think he'd probably uh, reached the pinnacle of what he, you know he wanted to achieve as a, as a cameraman, and and uh, he's such a brilliant communicator uh, while he is, in, and uh, uh, it just seemed like a natural step for him to, to do that I mean he started big he didn't start with a small movie <laughs> he put on right in there um, but he was brilliant uh, and so you know all the all that the, you know making it look beautiful and doing all the action sequences and all that he'll do that second nature to him but he was great with the actors and very understanding so I reckon uh, I reckon he'll have a long career and he's learnt from Christopher Nolan about the, the art of secrecy <laughs> well, <laughs> so you're not going to tell us what happens in Transcendence obviously no, I'm, not, I'm not but you know I'm kind of I'm a little bit old fashioned in that because I remember days before the internet when uh. you, know, <laughs> you used to just wait and you'd, you know you'd read the magazines and stuff and would you get little tidbits but like you know this whole like sort of you know putting the script up online or filming mm. people leaving a set I just think it's a lot of nonsense really just, yeah. you know I, 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 I like anticipation I think think that that is a good thing but spoilers or very nature of that word it seems anathema to me you know when we spoke about red lights i think i asked you about the dark night rises and at no time did you deny that you were in it all right <laughs> you were very impressive with the way that you kind of because oh. i think i said something like you must be it must be weird for you to go and watch it your first batman oh, film that you're was, not a in. was it i wasn't trying to be clever i thought it was really stupid looking back but how did you manage to keep that secret how did well, you did you creep on and off? How, how many days did you shoot i only i mean i only was on that for for a day it was a, he was i didn't even know that i was going to be in it and he just chris like i was like how come he doesn't die surely he must be dead at this point but he said, no, I'm just couldn't do a day. And we got this great set and they had this great set. So I just rocked up and did that little scene. And it's great to be part of all of them, you know. I mean, the first one was really where I, where the character had anything proper to do. But it was great to be involved. In, and I think that that trilogy has left a great legacy, you know, and, has, and changed the way those sorts of films 
are, are made, you know. For the better or for the worse? For think? the better, I think. And I, I think there's people that try and emulate it unsuccessfully. But I think in, in terms of, you know, grounding them in a sort of a reality and... Uh, Nobody, there's never going to be another Chris Nolan. I mean, he's just unique, and we're aware of that. But, but um, bringing it to, I mean, I'm sure that it'll, it'll have cycles, and, and there'll be other versions of these Superman or superhero movies. But we're kind of running out. I think there's, there's only so many of them. Isn't there? Nope. <laughs> well, when, when that runs out, I mean, that'll be a strange day when they're suddenly making up superheroes just for a film. I think that's going to happen, man. Yeah. You had a question about Tron. I did have a question about Tron, and it's it's following on from actually an interview you had with Joseph Kaczynski. You know, we were asking about where he wants to go with Tron Three, or as he's calling it, TR Three N, and he was essentially saying, I want to paraphrase, that your character of of Edward mm. uh, is something that he wants to do more with in the sequel. When you signed up to TR Two N, were you hinted at what might become of your character? Because as soon as I saw you, I went, I need to know more about how this family dynamic works here yeah i n- the honest answer is no that the honest answer is that they you know i knew they were making uh, a new one and I, i'm such a huge fan of the original mm. and they were you know I, I, if they said will you um do you want to come in and do this little thing i was like absolutely i'd love to come in and do this little thing uh, and and that was the extent of the of the conversation now you know i if they if they intend to make another one and there's a script, I'll definitely read it and chat to them. But um, that was as far as it went with me, and it was purely just to be in a Tron movie, to say I was in the Tron movie, albeit briefly. You know. Did you get a chance to speak to Jeff Bridges and, and, and fan out? Uh, no, I saw them do all the stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to do that unless there's a, a real reason. I, it's happened before, and it's I've been terribly embarrassed and <laughs> so I, I, I resist the temptation would you be willing to exercise your demons by telling us who you've who've because I've done it many times where you, you you mean to have a normal conversation with somebody you respect and admire and you end up going Bug. I did it with an unnamed actor at an airport and I kind of shook his hand and, and he got really embarrassed and I got really embarrassed and I backed away and I fell over a suitcase <laughs> <laughs> his suitcase <laughs> I don't know so, so it was a tragic attempt which of your films has had kind of the, the the biggest afterlife for you? I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Like, I suppose those big ones, like the Batman movies or Inception or Red Eye or people, ones like those, you know, tend to naturally have a greater audience. But, you know, then and then it seems to be split between the sort of American films and the European films. And some people in America haven't seen any of the European films. And then the people in, in, a, a, um, in Europe, you know, will sometimes look down on the big ones. So I, I don't, uh, I don't know. It, it varies and people will come up and mention films that I did years ago and then people will yeah. uh, mention them. You can't avoid the bad stuff. and The, the bad the, stuff. You know. <laughs> um, and people wanted to know what happened at the end of Inception. I, I, I love the not knowing. I mean, do get asked that question, but, mm. you know, and, and I was talking to Wally about it actually and, 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 and he was saying, well, eventually it stopped spinning. Naturally, because we have to cut. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if that's yeah, if you want to know if it stopped spinning or didn't stop spinning, yeah, eventually it did because that's the laws of physics. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's a spoiler. Wally's accidentally ruined. <laughs> that's it. There you go, people. One film that's that's had a big afterlife is Twenty Eight Days Later because they're still talking about a third <coughs> a third film. Aren't Danny Boyle's still getting asked about it. Do you ever get up? This is going to sound really trite, but. 
that's an amazing sequence, the opening of that film. Yeah. And Piccadilly Circus is a part of it's always going to belong to Killian Murphy. Yeah. I, I, you know, it just is because you you shut it down and you you shot something that was kind of indelible. There. Yeah. I don't, I mean, you probably don't do this because you're a professional, but I would just go down to Piccadilly Circus at five in the morning and just have a think about that. Everyone's going to fuck off. <laughs> My lads that. yeah. That's fine. Everyone go away. <laughs> Not in your scrubs necessarily. Are you surprised though? I mean, seriously, are you surprised that the zombie thing has got, I mean, it wasn't a zombie thing in 20 days later, obviously, but it, it kind of was. Are you surprised about its longevity? I mean, World War, World War Z, Z had an element of that I thought yeah I, I, I you know I watched those movies and I and I realised the effect that 28 Days Later had and I realised that between you know Danny and Alex Garland having the the seemingly obvious thing of making them run fast you never see a zombie movie now where they don't run you know before you could like sort of check your phone and tie your shoelaces and then you still have time before they <laughs> arrive you know but now, you know nowadays they're just like preternaturally speedy and and that that changed everything I think in that in that genre uh, and, and and you know Danny has, has made so many kind of iconic uh, sort of you know train spotting and and 28 days later and uh, lots of he, he does these, he manages to make these kind of iconic scenes that people remember forever so it's a, and it's a tribute to him and to Alex I suppose Have you seen the spoof music video? that incorporates 28 Days Later by LMFAO. No. Oh, wow. That'll be a surreal moment when you get home tonight. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So desired. It's electro-pop. I don't know if you're a fan of that particular genre. Oh, I don't mind it now. It starts off with the two guys from LMFAO in a hospital bed wearing the <laughs> scrubs, and then they go out and everyone... they But instead of being like infected rage monsters they're all um they're all sort of they've got the funk or something they're all dancing <laughs> they've got a terrible case of the funk so it's really similar to 28 days it's the funk very uh, catching it's very catchy oh, it started with daft punk and it sort of moved west or north <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think in about 10 years time maybe a little bit later who knows there is room in your life for a taken wannabe action departure for you <laughs> Oh, uh, well, that's, uh, yeah. I think it's there. Just just let it just stay in your mind. About when I'm 47. If it hasn't happened by then, I'll come back with a vengeance. <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> Expendables 15. <laughs> um, I, that's a brilliant place to wrap up, I think. We've got to let you go to The Rock People. Oh, The Rock Are you going to talk through, like, track by track? With... I don't know how it's, it's going to rock out. Just rock out. <laughs> Lots of air guitar. Yes. Yeah, it's the radio. It's great. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers. Now it's time to dissect this week's releases. I'm hoping that because Hollywood knows that today, September 20th, is my birthday, they saved some of the very best films of the year for this date. And you know what? Yeah. I think I'm right. Let's start with Diana, in which Naomi Watts plays a late Princess of Wales as she falls in love with a heart surgeon during the last two years of her life. And uh, I have to say that sounds simply super. I'll just call the Headley Academy and tell him to reserve the Oscar for Naomi now shall I Helen yes shall you, I? You, you, yeah. would, you might well have thought that I yeah. mean director of Downfall Naomi Watts you know very very good actress uh, seems like a good fit for Diana it all seemed to look so good on paper sadly uh, it's pretty dreadful uh, the problem here I'm sorry 
Chris to be the one to break this to you. The problem here that is that it's just a really, really bad script. It feels like a sort of a lifetime movie. In fact, it feels less fun than the average lifetime movie. The, the film never quite convinces us that what's happening is actually happening. And the thing is, you know, a lot of this is based in, on fact. We know that it actually did take place in some form. We know that she had this affair. We know that she was in love with this guy. What we don't know is all the bits around it. And while I'm sure they're based on something real, I'm sure they're based on accounts of what happened at the time or witnesses or whatever else, you don't for a minute buy the scenes where, for example, he's smuggled into the palace in the boot of her car. You don't buy the scenes where she puts on a wig and goes to Ronnie Scott's in Soho. You don't buy the scene where she runs tearful through the grass barefoot in the London park. It just doesn't feel real. And even if it is real, they haven't sold the reality in the film. And that's partly because, you know, the lines are absolutely dreadful. You know, stuff about if you don't want to smell the roses of love, don't go in the gardens or something. I mean, it's just ludicrous ludicrous stuff and and it's it's a bit of a shame because i think we were all hoping for for you know an oscar contender from this one and it it hasn't delivered i was hoping it would be a kind of iron lady situation where okay it may not be the best film that's ever been made but the performance will pull it through Hmm. but she's got nothing to work with i mean this is not a film that really gets behind diana's eyes this is a film that says oh look isn't she pretty and isn't she in love it doesn't really get to the heart of of, of of this character of this woman uh, I mean they do try I think they, they do attempt something with that they have her going to visit the, the landmine areas in Africa and they, they do focus on the fact that she did all this charity work and that she kind of came alive with that in a way that she didn't in front of the sort of paparazzi in London but they don't ever kind of hook the two together they don't make a coherent character out of that and it just it feels pretty embarrassing. And you also, I have to say, you feel absolutely dreadful for this poor heart surgeon who in real life is obviously still with us. He's a very private man. You, you have the very clear sense that, you know, he would want, he would be absolutely mortified by this film. And, and you know, he hasn't been out there doing interviews for it or anything else and, and who can blame him. But, you know, he, he must be just feeling dreadful. And he's played by Naveen Andrews. He is played by Naveen Andrews, who, again, another person you'd think well obviously that's great he's great love him but it just there's nothing there to go with and it just you know the the, the sort of the emotionally turbulent scene where she starts bashing out back on a piano it just who does that it doesn't ring true it feels like a Mills and Boone movie not a real life story and isn't Dodie Alfired somewhat sidelined kind of butted in at the end like oh he was this guy you know that was the reference from Hitchhikers it's almost like he's, he's you know she's going out with him just to make the other guy jealous you know and it's 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 very weirdly handled altogether just not good how many stars did we give this we give this one i mean we we're kind of nice people we tend to err on the side of generosity mm. and mm. and we give this one so sometimes too generous well we've both <laughs> we've both been case. we you know i've both been reviews editor dan <laughs> yep. you know we exactly. probably are only ourselves to blame yep. but it, yeah it's this is a one star film so uh really that's that's not it's such a shame because I mean Downfall is still Downfall's one of great. my favourite yeah. movies of, of recent times but his, his Hollywood career has just been a pretty much a disaster mm, so far yeah yeah, it was the invasion, wasn't it? Yeah, the, we don't talk the, about that either. In between, no, he made yeah. that interesting film with uh, Jimmy Nesbitt and Liam Neeson, Five Minutes to Heaven, which was uh, a kind of a TV movie, but you know, mm. that tackled uh, some elements of the troubles. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, uh, maybe get himself back on track. But this one, I mean, uh, Jessica Chastain must be. Thanking her lucky stars because she she was going to play Diana in this movie went back when it was called Caught in Flight, and eventually she passed on it. I can only imagine that she then read the script and decided this wasn't going to be the best idea. Naomi Watts, of course, famously has claimed that uh, 
Diana herself through some sort of spiritual intervention or some sort of sign or some sort of presence uh, indicated that Naomi Watts uh, should play the role. Yeah, I um, think that's been that's been played up. That's been played bit. up a bit. I'm just yeah. thinking that, that might not have been Diana. <laughs> Harsh, but possibly fair. It's a one star for Diana, which, as we say on the podcast every week, is a recommendation. No, no, we, <laughs> it's not a recommendation. We don't, we don't People remember. should not go and see this film. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so now we're moving on to a film. It sounds absolutely fantastic I cannot wait to see this one I think it's going to be another treat on my birthday this is R.I.P.D which stars Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds as two cops in the afterlife uh, who team up to uh, form part of a spectral police department almost like the men in black if you will mm-hmm. and Kevin Bacon's a big bad guy who's trying to cause the end of the world on this side of the divide and this sounds simply super I have to say uh, so, uh, so is it I think I've just fallen on a sarcasm that was so dripping in this what? I actually, you're going to call me an idiot, but I was really looking forward to this mm. film. It's a good concept, it's I think. It's a good concept. Like it's a Jeff, great Jeff, cast. Jeff Bridges kind of, you know, channeling um, Rooster Cogburn and, you know, teaming him up. So the idea of a cop from the Wild West teaming up with a cop from the modern day in a weird way to fight demons. Yeah, it's a good idea. They're what both, happened? They're both charisma machines. I love both of them on screen, even in, you know, obvious DOA, as you've said, movies, but this one just does not come together. This cost over 100 million and made about a quarter of that over its lifetime in the US box office. Mm. It has not done well, and I'd be very surprised if it suddenly had resurgence here. Anyway, yeah, so this is the Rest in Peace Department, which is quite a lot like uh, Men in Black, even so far as you come down in a metal elevator into a glass and metal filled room and somebody introduces you to this wild and wacky word of bureaucracy. Uh, and guns, big guns. Uh, they both sport these massive gold or silver demon sluggers. Uh, but the thing is, is that though it has lots of little moments that could conceivably work out, it doesn't fit together. It doesn't mm. become a cohesive whole. And in the end, you just wonder why anyone bothered. It will be an embarrassment for everyone who has been involved. It's shameful, really. It's possibly the biggest flop of the year. Uh, this year's Jonah Hex this year's Jonah Hex possibly yes I wouldn't say it's that bad it's not that bad no I wouldn't say it's that bad there are some moments at work yeah, some moments of m- chemistry between the two of them at work it's just one of those films that just doesn't quite the idea is not as good as the the idea is much better than the execution yeah that's it there's, there's no there are moments yes but there's no coherent plot there's nothing going mm. through it and it just feels incredibly generic the whole way through it's just it's disappointing this is directed by Robert Schwentke, so it's not a great week for German directors, is it? It's not, no. Oh dear. Should have done Red 2 instead. I'm not so sure he should have done, to be honest. <laughs> either. Uh, it's a bit of a shame. It's a bit of a shame. So we give two stars to RIPD, which means it's not totally irredeemable. I would call this a plain movie, for what it's worth. It's just not as good as it should have been. So much potential, so much promise, criminally wasted. Mm. Interestingly, this started out as uh, Ryan Reynolds and Zach Galifianakis. He was going to play this sort of Wild Westy type character. And I do wonder, I don't know whether Jeff Bridges came on, whether they changed the script maybe too much to accommodate him or maybe not enough, who knows. This was based on a Dark Horse comic. Mm. Uh, So if you are interested in the idea and want to see what the original vision was, go take a look. Uh, It's available Mm. in all good comic book stores. Mm. To be fair, the comic book's not that great either, but you know. Also out today is The Call, which is the latest movie from Brad Anderson, the director of the wonderfully spooky Session 9. Do seek that one out if you haven't seen it. And The Machinist, his new one stars Halle Berry as a 911 operator who gets a call from a movie blogger at a film festival who's incensed because someone is using her phone um, during a screening, at least. I don't think... I think that's what it's about. Is that- 
I think you've gone a little bit mixed up with another popular topic oh. of conversation this week, Chris. Okay. Um, but close. Uh, Halle Berry does play a 911 operator uh, in Los Angeles, and she's kind of uh, haunted by a, f- a life she failed to save about six months before. A teenager was killed by a movie, si- sorry, a psycho, um, and she and she bungled the call, so she feels guilty about this whole thing. So, slightly improbably, she gets a call from someone being targeted by the same psycho and is determined that this time nothing will prevent her from saving this woman's life. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, the problem is it's all just a little bit uh, formulaic. I mean, this feels like one of those Sandra Bullock uh, thrillers she made in the 90s uh, and not one of the really good ones either. So, you know, it's it's a little bit disappointing. I didn't think they could make films like this anymore. Well, I suppose that's a good I thought sign. it had to be either really, really big budget kind of things or, yeah. or like really, really, really cheap little indie things. I don't think you can make these kind of mid-range thrillers anymore. I guess, I think maybe the problem is that every so often they try one, but they make a bad one and then they <laughs> don't really go much further. I mean, you know, it's not, this isn't bad. Everybody's fine. She especially is, is really kind of, she's very good actually at mm. portraying extremely tense characters who are very passionate about something. Um, and she is good in this. The problem is there's just nothing there to really be good with. I think it, it's the same kind of problem. It's yeah. just, it's a little bit too familiar. We've seen it um, kind of before. Yeah. And you will see the, the next beat coming the whole way through. What was that one she did about internet chat rooms? Do you mean the net? No, no, no. Halle Berry. Oh, the one with Bruce Willis? The one with Bruce Willis in it. Perfect Stranger. Perfect Stranger. That was <laughs> awful. I mean, you would have thought after that experience, she might have looked at this script and, and gone, yeah, maybe not. Again, I wonder if this is one we're kicking a little bit too harshly. We gave it two stars. And uh, Brad Anderson is... For the most part, I mean, I mentioned two of his films there. If mm. you haven't seen Session 9, seriously do check it out. It will freak you out. And The Machinist, he's a great uh, master of a uh, chilling atmosphere, of a sense of dread. And I think that's lost a little bit in this movie. Mm. But uh, And it does become, as you said, a, a bit of a generic thriller. But I also quite like the relationship, the sort of, between the Abigail Breslin and the Harley Berry characters across. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were really good, again, there were really good moments in this. And I think, and I do really rate Berry in it. I just felt like overall it didn't quite, wasn't quite up to his talents either. So we give this two. Very briefly, uh, this week also out are two genuinely good films that you may have to work a little bit to seek out because they may not be playing in your local multiplex. Uh, first one is the Stephen Hawking documentary Hawking which is fantastic, and that's given four stars. And the second one is uh, a film from a British director, Sean Ellis, who has made Metro Manila. Dan, what can you tell us about that's that? That's right. He's he's actually from Brighton, and he's, uh, he's gone out and made this this really interesting crime thriller set in Manila. Um, yeah. Yes, conveniently. This is going to be one of, those, one of those movies, I think, when it comes to the end of the year, we're going to be looking back and going... Why weren't we shouting about that a bit more? And I don't necessarily mean we, Empire. I mean anyone. Everyone, I think it's going to be one of those ones that, that you get some word of mouth about it and it's going to really surprise people. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just basically a really taut, smart heist thriller. And it's also one of those ones where actually probably it's best not to say too much about it. Go and check it out. Seek it out. Ignore all those other RIPDs and Dianas of the world and go to this one, I would say. An interesting enough, uh, Metro Manila has just been uh, announced as the UK's entry for Best Foreign Language Film or Best Film Not in the English Language at uh, this year's Oscars. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of British directors who are coming up and this uh, this guy, Sean Ellis, reminds me an awful lot I mean, you know, of, of directors who are kind of like the Ben Wheatley's of the world and the mm. Gareth Evans and the Gareth Edwards. Mm. It, seems to be, it seems to be in a really, really rich, fertile period right now for yeah. British directors who are going out and making their movies on mm. their own terms. Asif Kapadia as well, yeah. who, who, who did that. 
uh, actually almost kind of was the vanguard of, of doing that kind of thing with the warrior yeah, I guess he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So four stars for Metro Manila. Like I say, mm. it's not. it won't be playing everywhere, so do seek it out if you can. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Matthew Fox and another mystery guest, TBC. Yes. Who will it be? It's me, isn't it? It's you, Dan. Okay. Yes. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to flame through the home tree. See you next week.